This is part two of a three-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. So uh, that's a good segue into Solar Aspect. Like, if How much of a deal breaker is being off from being directly south? It is it obvious, like, I've heard you say uh, many times on the podcast before that, you know, if you have north-facing slope, just sell it and go somewhere else. But what about east or west or southeast, southwest, northeast, northwest, that kind of stuff? If it's going to be steep, north-facing slope, and it's 100% that, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to even try. I mean, there's a lot you can do there. Um, there's a lot of cool things you can do there from a permaculture perspective, to be sure. I just don't feel like it, it's it, because it's it's going to be too difficult to do a bunch of the things that I want to do. Damn it. So, um, at, at the lab here, um, we have some, some patches of steep north facing slope. And, and I'm kind of thinking like, perfect spot for the freezer Wafati. No? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. It's like, that's what I'm, I keep thinking of as the freezer Wafati. And then for a bunch of different things, I keep coming back and thinking like, oh, this is going to be a great spot to do um, a uh, uh, Johnson-style airwell, you know, that, that north-facing slope, that steep north-facing slope. Um, I, I just, I don't know, tons and tons of cool things keep coming up that are going to be great to do in that steep north-facing slope. So it's like it's not that it's pointless or useless. It's just that it's like it, it, if that's all I have, I'm limited at all the things I could do. There's, there's not going to be enough sun there to do all the things I want to do. And not only that, but it's going to be, in on average, probably 10 degrees colder than something that's flat. or yeah. And then 15 or 20 degrees colder then something that's south-facing. But that's another thing, too, is you get the south-facing slope, and a lot of times you end up with everything on the south-facing, south-facing slope is totally cooked. It's like, there's, it's like there's a powerful lack of life there because it's kind of desert. And so you've got to get in there and really charm it in order to be able to, to, to grow things there because it's got an excess of sun. Yeah, it's that ground temperature difference is significant. So your north-facing slope, you're just going to have a really short growing season. It's going to take longer for that soil to warm up in the spring, and it'll start to cool down faster in the fall. Mm-hmm. 
on the south-facing slope, I guess if you had multiple layers of plants to protect the soil from the direct sunlight, that that could help too. Oh, true. Oh, true. There's things you can do yeah. to mitigate that. Yeah. I mean, but that's the other thing too is like with the south-facing slope, there's stuff that you can do to get everything to work out. But with the north-facing slope, not much you can do there. I mean, um, I almost bought a property that had uh, very little uh, soil that was in year-round direct sun, and uh, and there would have been there would have been a fair bit of north-facing slope, and I was starting to think about heliostats. <laughs> like, all I got to do is get a whole bunch of heliostats, <laughs> and it's like I'm. I'm glad that that property did not work out. <laughs> so um, I like where I'm at right now much better. I feel so much better about it. Um, but the lab uh, has uh, north-facing slope in general. But it's so the the most of the lab is so on the is a it's a valley floor of sorts. It's alluvial soil. So it's kind of got a roly-poly thing. And because of the roly-poly, it, it has a lot of south-facing slopes, like a bunch of little south-facing slopes. But overall, in general, on average, in fact, um, I saw the land was available for sale, and because I could see that it had, that it was on average north-facing slope, I rejected it out of hand. And then um, I had a real estate agent who's like, i got to show you this property. You're going to totally love it. You know, I had all these great things to say about it. And so we got out there, and I'm looking at it, and um, and he's telling me uh, the price. And it's like, sweet price. Um, and, yeah, it's generally north-facing, but it's got so much roly-poly. It's like it's got 30 little properties on it that have got south-facing slope. And so I'm, I'm kind of thinking, like, no, this has got a lot of awesomeness to it. So the question is, is how important is south-facing slope? And I'd say, no, that is, that is the best. That is important. And then at the same time, if you can get an equivalent property for half the cost, but it's not south-facing slope, but it's still got, you know, a lot of sun, it's, 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 it may very well be worth it. I mean, that's another thing, too. It's like to go get the ultimate property, the ultimate property might be $15 million dollars. Right. Whereas something that's got, you know, that's closer to like the lab might be half a million. And so then it's kind of like, um, you know, question one, how much money you got? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a better chance that you got a half a million dollars than you got 15 million. So um, definitely worth worth considering. Um. <clears throat> All right. I, any other comments or questions about 
uh, solar aspect? Well, I think we covered it. Okay. Next. Um, okay. And we talked about, or uh, we haven't talked about, uh, but you mentioned weeds. And you want to see weeds on a property when you go um, look at it. Yeah. It's one of the most important things to me. I mean, that's the total showstopper. If I if I do not see weeds, if all I see is grasses, I'm out. I don't want to even yeah. touch it. No way. It's, I don't care if it's being sold for $10 an acre. Don't want it. I can't work with that. I'm out. Because that shows that there's persistent herbicides there. And it's like, you, you can't grow a garden. You can't you can't grow apple trees. You can't grow you can't you can't grow anything there. It's like um I mean it'll be half as shitty in ten years and then another ten years after that it'll be half as shitty again. But when do you want to grow a garden? Are you willing to wait thirty years to grow a garden? Right. Or you know, are you gonna say like, Oh, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna bring in a hundred dump truck loads of topsoil dump it on here and grow a net. Yeah, that's my plan. And then, of course, if your roots take off and do great, they'll eventually get below that topsoil and then hit the stuff that's going to make them die. So, yeah, need weeds. I need to see a lot of weeds. Okay. Um, And you mentioned deep soil in your article. Um, you, You want deep soil... Already on the place? Well, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I I looked at a couple of properties where they had, you know, soil that was like maybe four feet deep in the valleys. And like, I looked at this one property that was 400 acres, and it's kind of like, wow, if I build a Wafati, I have to build it right here in this little tiny patch because that's the only place where I might be able to dig down. But everything else is like solid rock. You know? And it's like, I just I just can't, you know? So, um, and a lot of Montana, I mean, we're in the Rocky Mountains. And uh, um, so we you see these steep, steep mountains. And the, the reason why they're steep is because they're giant rocks um, and then the only stuff that has soil is on the flat stuff in the valleys and so it's kind of like uh, but but I want to build in the soil I don't want to build on rocks and the, uh, having that roly-poly slope can be helpful there because then you, you haven't had decades or hundreds of years of soil erosion just from the water running off of a regular flat slope Right. So, I mean, the big thing is, if I'm going to build a Wafati, it depends on me being able to dig. I need to, I need to dig. And uh, on top of that, like, like uh, both of you have been here, and we've mm-hmm. got, and so I've got two properties. I have Base Camp, which was the the property that's the nearest to the lab that was for sale after I bought the lab. And so, and base camp is like a giant 20-acre rock. It's like a single rock. And then there's the lab, which has incredibly deep soil. 
Now, when you're just looking around, when you're standing at base camp and, and you look around base camp, there's trees here. And then when you're standing at the lab, there's trees there too. But what's the, what's the difference in the tree count? Yeah, it's guys, really, really thick on the lab. On the lab, it's a jungle. I mean, like if you're like, I'm gonna pick, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put on a blindfold. I'm standing in the middle of the lab, put on a blindfold, and I'm gonna spin three times and then pick a direction and walk in that direction. And it's like uh, um, you probably won't get to go very far. You'll go a hundred feet, and then you'll just be in such thick brush you can't go any farther. Yeah. Whereas on base camp, you can do the same thing, and it's like you can go as far as you want. <laughs> Just keep going as much as you want, all the way to the to the edge of the property, no problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I I I don't know how to. I think I've got to make a podcast that's nothing but our choreography document here because I find that I'm still having to tell people when they arrive. Montana is a uh, castle law state. And on top of that, so basically what that means is, is that if you wander onto somebody else's property and, and that property owner sees you and they feel threatened, they get to shoot you down, kill you. And they could even keep shooting after you're dead if they want. <laughs> it's totally legal. Uh, and it's like the moral of the story is is stay on the property, um, and and the other thing is is like the property boundaries on the lab are not well marked, but that's just, that's the that's inner side of it is that um, in Montana you have to know where you're standing. You do not rely on signs. People are thinking like, well, I'll just wander along until I encounter a sign that says no trespassing, and then I'll stop. Or maybe a fence or something like that. And it's like, nope. It, you know, you can, you can try that if you want, but you'll probably, you could get shot doing that. Not a good choice. So I'm, I'm kind of amazed that we have to keep, you know, every time somebody new shows up, we have to kind of go through the whole choreography. We, we email it when, when we're giving them information on how to get here and everything. But I don't know. At the moment, they just want to know the directions. <laughs> they don't want to. Read all this choreography stuff. Yeah, so, people don't take it seriously all the time. Or, you know, some people do and some people don't. But you don't know who's going to take it seriously until it's too late. Yeah, yeah. How many so, people have been shot at your property? Uh, uh, zero. Zero people during the whole time I've owned the property, zero people have been shot. I feel like that's an important thing to put out there. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> true. That's true. Uh, uh, I, the problem is, is that I see people wandering onto somebody else's property and I try to say, don't do that. And their response is universally, don't worry about it, Paul. You worry too much. Okay. It's not a big deal. Okay. And then the, the next thing is, is that when one of my neighbors chooses to not kill you, which is their legal right then they believe I owe them something now. Remember that time yeah. I didn't kill that guy? You owe me. <laughs> you know? So stop 
stop wasting my food future coupons on dumb fuckery. Just don't go <laughs> over there, okay? So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like you have to make a fence to keep people in your property, not to keep people out from a, you know, beyond. A, right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Like, the, the threat of death is not enough, you know? And, uh, and it's, and then it's like, uh, for all of the state of Montana, people are dying over this stuff. People are getting shot. And so it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's not like, you know, and granted, here, that hasn't been an issue. It hasn't come up. No one's gotten shot. No one's had a bullet head in their general direction or anything. So it's kind of like, all right, okay, fair enough, fair enough. And at the, at the same time, it's, it's like, I, I, I do have, there was a time, like five or six years ago, we had an event and a couple of women decided to go for a walk. And they, they did. They walked onto a neighbor's property and the neighbor saw them and said, what the fuck are you doing here? Well, we're part of Paul Wheaton's thing. We're just out for a walk. Well, you are not on Paul Wheaton's property. You're on my property. And if you don't get the fuck off of my property, I will kill you. Oh, you will not. And then he pulled out his sidearm and pointed it at him. Oh, they wow. finally decided to leave. And it's like, really? It's like, so I kind of, I, I, I feel like, and and then after that, this guy has brought it up like eight times that he didn't kill people. <laughs> he didn't kill my people. <laughs> and so I owe him. And it's like, ah, fuck. So it's like, um, uh, no, uh, that those women were in the wrong. I don't know how I could have been more emphatic. And, uh, you know, this, and there are, there's people, there's people in Montana who still do this. They'll wander onto other people's property with the whole concept of like, yeah, they're not going to actually shoot. I can go anywhere I want. No one's going to actually shoot. And yet people die every year from exactly that. I, I'm, I'm baffled. I, I, maybe people just don't value their own hide that much. Like, you know, oh, I was thinking of committing suicide anyway, so, you know, might as well. Yeah, people get used to different, I don't know, call them standards, but, uh, you know, come from different parts of the country and are just not used to, say, Montana or anywhere else, right? You, you, yeah. you grew up a certain way and you're used to, um, how things are where you're from and then you go somewhere new and it, it can be different and yeah. you just don't take it seriously until it's right in your face. Right. And then your first thing to do is denial. <laughs> right. Uh-uh. That is right. not true. You just making that shit up. <laughs> I do not consent to you shooting me. <laughs> yeah. It's around here, you know, I feel like you're harassing me. I want you to stop. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I just kind of, I mean, it is, it's a different, it's a different set of laws. And yeah, there's a lot of places in the United States where it's like the law is, is that you don't get to shoot anybody no matter what. And, and so then people, I don't know, you can go tromping around on somebody's private property and it's like, you know, you'll, you knowing that you will never get shot. Unless, and I think this is another thing to keep in mind, like like in the state of Oregon, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to shoot anybody no matter what. And I kind of feel like in a lot of eastern Oregon, if you go tromping on somebody else's private property, they might shoot you anyway. 
you know, like, like, and they might, they may or may not know the law themselves, the person with the gun. And it's like, they just decide that they've decided to shoot you because, you know, they felt it was a form of self-defense or who knows what their justification was. But I, I just kind of feel like there's enough people out there that are a little bit uh, crazy, you know, why go push those buttons? Yeah, and, and to, to assume that people are going to only point a gun at you um, based off of what the law says is not always accurate. And, that is um, so true. <laughs> but I tell you, having I've had a gun pointed at my face at pretty close range, uh, and the person wasn't goofing around, and it, it's a great deterrent for whatever you might have been doing to get you to stop. <laughs> I, you know, I think that's a good point. I mean, it's, uh, uh, I'm amazed that we don't need more police because of the crazy, you know, like, like the number of people that I've met where it's kind of like, how is it that you are not currently in jail? <laughs> you know, the choices that you make, I am, I am amazed all right, we've kind of gotten off the topic a little bit. Yeah, all right. <laughs> but that is a reasonable thing. When you're shopping around for land, it might be a good thing to consider, you know. And and you know what? The last podcast we did talk about the Department of Making You Sad, and it's like you, you've mentioned HOAs. And I kind of feel like, you know what? An HOA or the Department of Making You Sad, it's just, an HOA is just a, 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 a closer-up Department of Making You Sad. And we uh-huh. talked about Mike Ayler's property, and I kind of feel like um, uh, there's an upside and a downside, you know? So it's kind of like, you know, if if the laws in Mike Ayler's region were stricter, that guy wouldn't have been allowed to dump all that toxic waste on the uphill side of Mike's property and thus foul the drinking water for the entire neighborhood if there were stricter laws. On the other hand, when there are stricter laws, suddenly every project you want to do costs twice as much because you got to get permission. And, of course, the number one rule is thou shalt never innovate. And so right. it's like, you know, if you want to try and make something better, you're not allowed to. It's against the law. So because, of course, what we want to do is a lot of innovation. We, we elected to move someplace where, um, you know, we're going to have very little of that, and most of our neighbors are uh, the U.S. government, who has a big chunk of land, which they only look at once every 15 years or so. So it's like, oh, okay, there's an easy neighbor. So having neighbors with a bunch of chunk in their yard is a good sign as long as they're downhill from you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um... That kind of, I mean, that kind of brings up one of the first things I brought up last week, which was that um, having a neighbor who's hostile. If you've got a hostile yeah. neighbor, man, that that makes it that makes it really icky and difficult. That's and that's hard to find out too. I mean, so a bunch of stuff in their yard. That doesn't mean that they are hostile or are not hostile, but clearly. Right. They appreciate a certain aesthetic that includes, you know, basically because with a junkyard and all that 
petroleum there. There's probably mm-hmm. a fair bit of it that's getting in, working its way into the soil, which yeah. might mean the drinking water, your drinking water. But at least there isn't an HOA saying you're not allowed to have junk in your yard. Yeah. That's the one thing I think you can get from, from seeing that. There, yeah. As long as that junk's there, your wolfati is pretty safe. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so maybe. I mean, <laughs> the, the building codes don't uh, dictate how many cars are allowed in your front yard in oh, whatever assembled uh, states, you know. Mine did in San Diego. Well, yeah, San Diego is uh, <laughs> a little different. So, by the way, I uh, with San Diego, I think the way to spell it is first S-A-N-D-Y for Sandy, and then E-G-G-O, that's San Diego. Yeah. That is correct. That is the preferred way of spelling it. That is the correct spelling. Fancy hoity-toity people spell it this other way with letters. Yeah, in some other language. Yeah. So, uh, all right. What's next? Okay, What's next we talked next? about deep soil. Wait, uh, on deep soil, do you go out there with a shovel and, and dig down, or, or are you just looking around for rocks at the surface? Or I think there were several properties that I visited where I did bring the shovel and I dug a hole. Yeah. And I was gauging it on, like, how deep of a hole can I dig in, like, two minutes? And and that would paint a picture. And then, like, you know, of course, what did I see in that? But at the lab, I did not dig a hole. It was the vegetation told the story. And so I could I could tell that there were incredibly deep soils there because of the the jungle factor of the vegetation. Got it. Um, yeah. So then at at base camp. I wasn't looking for a property for the sake of the soil, um, but it did have a lot of weeds, which was like, oh, good. Love to see the weeds, you know. So this is this is a big positive. But, I mean, like, I could see the bedrock everywhere, you know. I mean, well, when yeah. you drive up to the property, like, the first thing you see is a wall of bedrock. Yep. Yeah. So... Um, okay. All right. Next. Next, and the last two items on my list are about water on the property, about uh, running water, uh, ponds, wells, um, and I've seen a couple properties out here with springs on them as well. It seems like. I uh, one of my podcasts from nine years ago is with Jacqueline and Joseph Freeman. And they are in, they are near Battleground, Washington, which is a little north of, I think they're a little northeast of Vancouver, Washington, which is just across the river from Portland, Oregon. And so they are in your neighborhood, only they're totally not. So they're like, you're looking at Western Washington. Kind of middle. I've, I've absolutely been looking in that area. Oh, you have been looking there. Okay. Yeah. They're in. I, I've, I'm going down the, to like Eugene as is as far south as I've been looking. Oh wow. Okay. All right. Eugene, Oregon, is I believe an hour and a half south of Portland. Is that correct? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, 
uh, uh, so Battleground is Western Washington, um, but you are moving east enough that you're getting into the Cascades a little bit. Yeah. And so, um, uh, Central Washington, which people who live in Western Washington call it Eastern Washington, but Central Washington is a fucking desert. Fair? Yep. Yeah, I mean, super deserty. Like, they probably get, I mean, sagebrush, nothing growing, uh, maybe two to three inches of rainy year. And then you get into, and the same goes for Oregon, Washington and Oregon both. And then you get into the very eastern edge, like eastern 10%, and then that's where the Rocky Mountains start to pick up, and it, and it greens up a lot right there. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, farms, big farms growing wheat and all sorts of cultures out there uh, as you head towards uh, you know, your neck of the woods. Now, I'm going to get, do you have a fresh memory of the podcast that I made with Jacqueline and Joseph Freeman about their hunt for a property. No, I actually uh, wrote down uh, their names so I could go back and search for it and listen to it again. Okay, okay. So I'm gonna. My memory is is that they had been searching for property for years. And they had, I don't know, I'm going to guess that they had looked at maybe 50 to 100 properties. I mean, it was a lot. Yeah. And and as part of their requirements, they must have, they required a creek of some kind, some kind of moving water, the absolute requirement for them. But the property that they ended up on, the property where I'm interviewing them, does not have any running water whatsoever. And now, okay, now forgive me. I feel like I feel like a lot of my stuff is very brown permaculture, but I think we all have a bit of a purple streak. And I'm going to go into Purple Town for a moment here. Okay. They got onto their property, onto this property, which was for sale. And it just had a vibe. And they knew that they were going to live there. There's just some vibe. Just some I understand that, yeah. There's something about it that just was magic and beauty and wonderful to them. And they could not describe it. There was something right and and so there were several elements about the property that were like violations of their must-haves, including having water on their property. And in the podcast, I do state that there are several magical things about this property. And I think a lot of the magical things did come with the property. And there are a lot of magical things that they added to the property. And the podcast talks about each of those. Just a quick thing, quick couple of little bits about the property. So, for example, when they moved into the house, there are two things about this house that they moved into that came with the house as is. One is on one wall of the house, there is a colony of honeybees living in the wall. And so 
when I was first there, when I first mes- met Jack. I remember this now. I remember that. She said, put your hand here. And it was wintertime. It was like February when I was there. Put your hand here. And the, I said, it's warm. This wall is way warmer than where we're standing. Where we're at, it's like 60 degrees, 55. It's a pretty cool house. And she says, there's a colony of bees in the wall. And they heat it. They they live at a temperature that's much, much warmer. And, and so they're keeping the their colony warm. And you can feel the warmth. That was item one. <clears throat> item two is that I'm, I'm paying to stay there a night during the Sepulcher event that's in the area. And she says, we have two rooms available, and you can choose which room you want to be in. we got a normal room, and then we have the ladybug room. What is the ladybug room? Why do you call it that? She says, let me show you. Since so we go into this room, and there's a a towel kind of wadded up in the corner of this room, and it's hanging, but it's kind of like all foldy and stuff, you know? And she kind of pulls it back, and there's like, I don't know, 600 ladybugs. Live ladybugs, kind of on the other side of this towel. And she says, there are millions of ladybugs living in this wall, and there's a, a little hole there, and a few of them have come out into the room. And so we kind of put this towel here to kind of help them stay on the other side of the towel rather than fill the room. Well, I'm going to stay in the ladybug room, of course. <laughs> you know, yeah. the room, the room of magic, the magic ladybug room. Third thing is that in the summertime, every day at 5 o'clock, they open up all the doors for the whole house, including the doors to the outside. And a bat flies in and eats all the bugs and flies out. Like, the bat flies in and goes to every room and finds every bug and eats them all and then flies back out of the house. So that, I'm not sure whether I can say that that was there when they got there, or I mean, clearly it they had they have to open the door for that to happen. Yeah. And then, all right, one last bit is, of course, I do have a podcast where I go into a great deal of detail about Jacqueline's book, The Song of Increase, and that is a rather purple book. And it's kind of like there's clearly some magic happening there for her to be able to write that book. And so, did it come with the property? How much of it was it was something that came with the property? How much of it was something that came with Jacqueline and Joseph? So, all right. Now, I, I've said the magical things. Now I'm going to go back to what you're talking about. Water on the property. Mm-hmm. In, that, in that little, in that podcast I did with them, they said that they had a friend who was, like, also shopping, or I don't know what. But anyway, there's this person that they know that has water on their property. And it's like um, they struggle to keep any animals because the water attracts all the predators. I mean, the water attracts everything. Everything, yeah. Which attracts all the predators. And so it's like um, they've got a... Uh, a predator freeway in their backyard 
which makes it very challenging to keep any kind of animal. Now, the next thing is, is that um, I know on Mount Spokane, I had a seasonal creek. And um, because it was seasonal, then um, there were rules I had to live by within 100 feet of that creek. Um, and then there's a different set of rules for, I think, 200 feet and another set of rules for 500 feet. Um, and if it's a year-round creek, it's like all those rules plus a whole lot more. Plus, for a lot of states, and it might even be all of the United States, and I'm not certain about this, if a creek could carry fish, the public is allowed onto your property to fish, to go fishing. And, uh, and maybe they're not going to even go fishing, but they're allowed to be there. And all that that implies, and all those vectors. But if you don't have a creek, then, you know, no worries. They can't, they can't come on. You have private property. They stay out. So um, I have talked to some people who had a seasonal creek or a year-round creek, and uh, it went through part of their property and their entire property. And they had like five or seven acres or something like that. Yeah. But their entire property fell under these massive regulations on what they could do. Right. Um, <clears throat> Rob Torcolini has that um, uh, YouTube channel uh, called Web for Deb or something like that, and um, and he has a dome greenhouse, and apparently uh, this dome greenhouse, like like this edge, this this edge of the greenhouse, might be within one mile of a creek of a certain size and therefore falls under all these weird laws that he might possibly be violating and he might not be. But it's, if I remember correctly from a private conversation I had with him, it was like a three-year battle costing him, I don't know, like $20,000, $30,000 only to get it super duper duper surveyed and find out that the line was something like 20 feet away from his building and it wasn't until that moment that the lawsuits went away I'm sorry say that again okay so um, the thing is is that he had he built a greenhouse and then somehow somebody decided to turn him in uh, probably, I'm going to guess what happened is that somebody said, you have to do what I say or else. And and Rob says, my land, fuck off. And so then they called up and reported him for having built a greenhouse um, in the middle of a creek or a river. And it's like uh, the Department of Making Said looks into it, and they said, yes, your greenhouse intersects this creek, what, and what we mean by that is, is that the creek is a mile away and you're within a mile. And therefore, sadness. 
And so it took him three years and I think about 20 grand to fight it until the surveyors came out and, um, and basically proved that his greenhouse was something like 20 or 30 feet past beyond the line. So rather than his greenhouse being entirely within the line or the line intersecting his greenhouse, the line is outside of his greenhouse. So he's safe from these extra laws. And, but it took, it took this enormous amount of money and three years in order to be able to fight that and, and then eventually win. But all I'm saying is, is that I've, I have talked to people where basically they bought property and it had a creek in it and they were so happy and they had all these ideas and all these things that they wanted to do and they couldn't even grow a garden because apparently somebody somewhere had an interpretation that a garden would violate something about the riparian area that is within a certain number of feet of this little creek. Got it. So buyer beware with creeks. There might be... It could be. Now... Fighting off more than you... Uh, all that said, those. what if we use permaculture techniques to create a creek where there is no creek? Right. And it's, it's an artificial construct. We can do whatever we want. We can have a creek and do whatever we want with it. Ta-da! So, did I answer? Is this the, did I answer the question that you had, or did you have a different kind of question about creeks? That, uh, I just, I, ha- I didn't have a specific question. It was, what do you think about creeks? <laughs> um, <clears throat> love creeks. Um, and, uh, man, I also love dodging the stomachache that can come with them. And so, Sep's property is dry. And all the water that flows on Sep's property is artificial. He put it there. The lab is dry. And so um, uh, all the water that will be moving on there will be artificial. And we hope to have water on there someday. A base camp is also dry. But um, I'm not sure how much water we'll get to have moving here. But I do hope that someday we have some tiny ponds, and there is water moving around the property. Yeah. Uh, what about wells? How much, I mean, it, it's, it's going to depend on, on Yeah. I don't know, just, why don't, why don't you, you know. <laughs> I, I know you've well, had some recent Yeah, uh, yeah. Got lots of stories to tell about wells. So many. Uh, um, basically, drilling a well is always a gamble, and yeah. and so uh, how deep is your well? What kind of what's going to be the quality of the water? Um, things of that nature. Sometimes, if a property is for sale, you know, there's going to be the, the you say why is the property for sale? The answer that you get 
might be different from the reality. I mean, there's a lot of properties where the well is dry, you know, but, I mean, there's, there's something to be said for a certificate of occupancy. Is there a certificate of occupancy? And the certificate of occupancy says the well must produce this much water. And I believe that to get a certificate of occupancy, the well must produce a minimum of three gallons per minute. And I know I, I, I and I, this is, and I say this, and I share this because the, there, with the property at base camp, there was no certificate of occupancy, and there is a well. It produces a third of a gallon per minute, one tenth of the water that's required to get a certificate of occupancy. Now, both of you have been here during events. And then mm-hmm. when the event begins, I stand up and I remind everybody that um, we have very little water here. And so I wish to encourage everybody to, this will be your week to try Poolis. <laughs> so now you're going to take a much shorter shower. And everybody might be wise to kind of tuck away a gallon of water just in case we run out, you know, for a gallon of drinking water. So I'm, I'm guessing both of you remember this little speech I gave at the very beginning of the events you attended. I, oh, yeah. I've been I've been poolist since the since the PD or the since I was there the first time. Oh oh, you, how's it going? It's uh, as far as uh, my hair and my beard and uh, smelling, it's it's fine. Uh, I've got some skin issues that I don't think are related, but. Uh, that yeah, were there before that didn't go away because of it. But uh, yeah, my hair and and uh, and my stink are no problem. I've got okay. tons of hair that's very luxurious and a very luxurious beard. So basically, the overall quality of your life, from the perspective of stinkums and. Uh, uh, cleanliness and luxuriance has improved. I would think so, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I'm, uh, I, I'm a little surprised at how well I'm doing in that space also. Um, and I think, I think we just got to keep pointing out, you know, how well it works and for people to make the leap. And it's like, uh, and when you make the leap and, and the quality of everything gets better, it's kind of like, oh, man, why was I rubbing that toxic gick all over myself? I mean, I bought the very least toxic gick I could find in this space, but apparently it, too, was still toxic. And, uh, you know, everything's just better. It's, it's like suddenly showers are shorter. I'm spending less money on stuff. And uh, my health is better. I don't know. Everything's just better. Let skunk that can clog up your drain as well. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Septic tank has to be happier. Um, and, I mean, one, one step closer to going into a gray water system, you know? I mean, yeah. if you don't have that toxic kick to deal with, then, you know, the gray water system is cer- certainly going to be happier. All right. You were asking about wells, and I got to say that if there's already a functioning well there, 
and it's bringing in three gallons a minute or better, that is a huge relief. That's one less stress. And and I got to say that I, I thought I, I I think I've heard that like the number one reason why people get divorced is money issues. And out of the money issues department, I think I have heard, and I don't know how true this is or not, but the number one issue is um, any kind of construction or remodeling happening within the home. And so, because those things can be so very stressful. And then if there's, if you're trying to drill a well, and until the well is drilled, you're having to import water or something like that then um, what an extremely stressful thing that can be. And so, um, and what a relief when the water flows. Uh, So, um, a property that already has a functioning well is worth a lot. Because it's like you could look into whatever it costs to get that, and then... Um, uh, and you could say like, well, if I had to drill another one, it would cost just simply that. And then that, and then I would have it. And it's kind of like, yeah, but that isn't, that isn't it at all. When you're starting to to drill, you don't know how much it's going to cost. It could cost that, or it could end up costing 20 times that. And so you don't know. It's, it's a, it's a gamble. And, and it's like that kind of gambling is very stressful. Yeah, you don't know how, how much or how deep that water is. If you pick the right spot or not, you might have to drill ten times or, or five times deeper than you think, and you still may never get it, and you have to pay the money. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. I don't know if it's available everywhere, but I, I know um, in Washington State, uh, well reports are um, – are they're all public? They're searchable. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a website that I've gone on in the past, and um, that you know you you have a map and it has little points on it. And you click on the point, and it uh, shows you the well report for for the well that is there. Yeah, I used that as well to, when I was looking for properties and found a spot where there were wells on all four sides of the property that they all were reported like 60 to 70 foot um, depths for their their water level. And that is reassuring, at least that, you know, on, on average, you should be lucky. And then what kind of water do you get out of it? Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, a lot of yeah, people... I've seen that in uh, in well reports. They'll have um, the the water will be tested for you know iron and uh, bacteria and, and and other things that'll kill you. I mean, you've, I'm sure you've both been to houses where it's like, here, you want a glass of water, and it's like you bring the glass up to your face, and and your nose says, "Do not put that in your pie hole." That doesn't go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't no. And they say, oh, we drink it all the time. It's fine. And your nose is saying, don't, don't, no, 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 don't. And then there's people that have rust or they have hard water or they have got, I mean, all these different people having all these different possible problems with water. And then, of course, I'm sure you've seen the videos of people where fracking has happened in their area. (laughs) And they can turn their faucet on and light the water on fire. 
<laughs> yep, it's no longer drinking water. It's just water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's mostly water. Right. <laughs> to call it water, it only has to be 51% water. Right. And then there's people where they pump the water up and it is cloudy. And uh, there's many different flavors of cloudy. You know, like cloudy, like there's clay in it. <laughs> cloudy. And, uh, yeah, many, many different kinds of, uh, different, different kinds of cloudy. So, um, Adventure is in water. So, yeah, if there's a well with good water, that is very valuable. Very valuable. So much more valuable than whatever it costs to put in a well. I mean, that's a lot of great information there. Okay. I could talk more about well stuff, you know, but I think, did I, did I give you enough information for wells? I think that's a good a good little talk about that. Um. And then what I have left is I found some properties uh, this weekend um, that I thought I might bring them up, and we'll talk about these specific ones if uh, if there's not any general. I think that's good. Is there anything else that was inside of my stuff about um, about searching for property? Uh, we've gone through my notes. Oh, okay. All right. On that. So because I, there was something else that was probably boring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Because I was thinking that because it was it's a three part thing that I did, uh-huh. and yeah. um, I I seem to remember that part three, the last part, because I kind of feel like a lot of people are looking at land and it's kind of like, you know. Um, of course, what they want is they want to buy a, a piece of property that already has a house to get started with, and they might like 10 or 20 acres, and um, uh, a creek would be lovely, and they've got the fantasy of what all they want to do and what they want to buy and, and things of that nature. And um, And then they go shopping, and they're seeing prices like, 400,000, 800,000, stuff like that. And they're like, we can't afford this. And then there's a bunch of people where they're kind of thinking along the lines of like, maybe they'll keep working while living the homesteading dream. And I would, I would even have to go so far as to guess that three quarters of the people that make the leap do exactly that. They try to get a piece of property that's close enough to town so that they could live there and then do the homesteading dream on the evenings and weekends. And then they'll continue to work, and then they'll use that money to pay the mortgage. And in theory, in 30 years, they'll be square, and then maybe they can live full-time on the property. And, of course, you know, that, that is a path, and I'd, I'd like to advocate something smarter, but that's a different podcast, I think. Um, yeah. And then so, the thing I try to get to is, like, as I'm describing this and people are like, I just don't have this much money, then I've done the Deep Roots program. And I'm, I'm trying to make it so that it's easier for people. Because you go out and you do, if, if, if you go out on your own and you get that 10 acres, and, like, let's say you found something for $140,000 for your 10 acres and it's bare land. And, of course, you're surrounded by sprayers, 
and you get to deal with the department of making you sad and and there's you're finding out that there's reasons that it was $140,000 instead of you know $400,000 and uh and all of those adventures um and uh and so what I'm trying to do is to put something together where all of your neighbors you know on on my land are all permaculture enthusiasts and not just permaculture enthusiasts but permaculture enthusiasts for, of a very very specific flavor and and there is an HOA and the HOA's name is Paul and <laughs> and it's like if if uh if you do something that violates the HOA rules which are listed in 500 podcasts um then then you could get kicked out which is like an uncomfortable feeling unless of course you're thinking like these HOA rules are awesome and then in which case you're like therefore if somebody moved in next to me and they didn't stick to the HOA rules they would get kicked out and I would be glad that they did something like like that so that was that was the boring part, I guess. I was trying to make it so it was easier for people to make this this leap. Um, and uh, I thought <laughs> when we got to the end of the podcast that that's what I was going to be talking about was like uh, the the deep roots program at my place. Absolutely, let's talk about that. It's I've. Uh I've looked into that, discussed it with my partner, and uh, and it's it's not for us. But we also have um, a bit of a grub stake to go out and buy our own land outright, right. and and not be in the rat race while we're doing this, and not be under the uh, under the iron gauntlet of Paul Wheaton and his lock gate. <laughs> my locked gate. It's that locked gate <laughs> sneaks up on you in the middle of the night and eats your children. Yeah, it's coming out of the forest. <laughs> Run away! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I. It's it's very strict, very strict. Um, and uh, this podcast is continued in part three. Don't forget. Go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.